Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Let's Talk ABM with me, Declan Mulkeen, CMO of account-based marketing agency, Strategic ABM. ABM is one of the hottest B2B strategies right now, helping companies to win, grow and retain their most important accounts. This podcast allows me to spend some time talking to account-based marketing leaders about their ABM programs and share their insights with other B2B marketers, wherever you are on your ABM journey. Today, I'm actually joined by Alex Embling, who's the CEO of our agency, Strategic ABM. Alex, thanks so much for joining me today. Good to see you, Dick. Well, I thought, you know, it's about time. I've been thinking about interviewing you for a long time for um, as part of Let's Talk ABM and as part of kind of the podcast that we do, etc. And I thought it'd be interesting to, to get your take. You've been involved in B2B marketing for 20, 25 years. Uh, I've known you for probably about that time or a little bit less. Um, First as a client, I was a client, obviously, of the agency, and now, obviously, now I'm part of the agency as your as the CMO. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the last twenty years, because obviously, Bev Burgess, who who we all know and uh, and respect and admire, um, she uh, coined the term ABM and the methodology back in two thousand two, two thousand three. So we are celebrating the twentieth anniversary. How do you see the kind of last twenty years of ABM? And I know we've been involved in it for six seven years as a as a pure play abm agency right yeah i mean we've been involved in it formally for the last sort of six seven years but i guess we've been inadvertently involved in it uh unbeknownly for much longer because our clients mm-hmm. have always been those sort of global technology brands you know with long sales cycles and uh, lots of people involved in the buying decision so we have been involved in it um i mean it's evolved dramatically i think I don't, I don't think the principles have changed um, I think, you know, the fundamentals of, you know, being more relevant to fewer people have been around for, for decades, not just in the last 20 years, but obviously technology, data, uh, the fact that the buying journey happens way in advance of you actually having contact with the account you're trying to engage. I think all of that has changed a lot and has obviously impacted the way uh, programs are run, uh, where the priority investments are made, um, all of that really. So, and also the expectations on sales and marketing teams because of the investment that's being made into ABM programs now clearly um, impacts how people run their programs and how they prioritize their activities. So obviously technology has been the biggest disruptor um, and had the biggest impact on ABM programs over the last 20 years. Yeah, it's interesting, I suppose, if you think back to to that, I think it was a conversation or a lunch or a dinner that, that Bev was at 20 years ago now with um, Accenture and Unisys. They were talking to her about client-centric marketing mm-hmm. and the idea of dedicated teams working internally within within one account um, to actually get deep into that account so that account could, you know, could actually benefit from all, all of their services. And they were, interestingly, they were consultancy companies as opposed to, you know, manufacturers or, 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 or technology vendors. Um, but as you mentioned then, technology has been the game changer and has probably stolen a bit too much of the headlines, really, in the course of the last few years. Whereas um, we, we had this kind of conversation always about, you know, the use of technology and what's what's required and how much technology do you actually need to get started with ABM. And I think because obviously these technology vendors who've come into the ABM space obviously have had big budgets and big marketing budgets, they've managed to, to grab a large chunk of the conversation. But would it be fair to say that, what is the level of technology that is required to let's let's start with a couple of scenarios in terms of ABM. Give us a scenario around a company which is 
has got a good um, go-to-market strategy, but is looking to implement ABM for the first time. Um, so they will be relatively immature from an ABM point of view. What does that kind of approach look like? Well, there's, there's, there's the approach that we would recommend, and there's obviously the approach that a lot of a lot of companies take. They're two different things, and I think a lot of the mistakes that companies make are that you know they start with the technology, they see it as a bit of a, a golden bullet, um, and obviously there's there's pressure, there's more pressure on sales and marketing teams and commercial teams than ever before because of the levels of investment that are going into these businesses. So, you know, naturally, human nature is you look for a quick fix and, and quite often uh, technology vendors are selling Nirvana and, and um, you know, technology doesn't solve strategic issues. Mm. It only scales bad, bad decisions. So um, I think, you know, you can start with minimal tech stack. If you think about what you need in order to measure, and that's the important question to ask, you know, yourself internally or aligned with the business teams, the C-suite, First thing is, you know, how, do we, how are we going to report on success? Um, and obviously, we use the three R's model, reputation, re uh, relationships, and revenue. Uh, but there may be some other models that people want to adopt to, you know, clearly quantify the, the incremental progress sales and marketing teams are, are making with a set of accounts or a, a strategic account. Um, so I think priority needs to be, right, align with your, your C-suite, the guys that are giving you the dollars to invest in this program, Align them how how to make uh, to report on that on that progress, and then reverse engineer from there really. And quite often, it doesn't require te technology. ABM is just historically um, difficult to report on because there are obviously digital touch points, and that's you, know, you can solve that with varying degrees of technology. And then there's offline soft qualitative data that you know is harder to capture. So you know, key account programs, ABM programs will always require online, offline, qualitative and quantitative data. Mm. Um, and obviously you can, you can, you can resource that appropriately with, um, with, with technology and but obviously you've got to get your, your teams bought in across the business to be able to facilitate those qualitative inputs as well. So, um, I think, you know, to answer your question, start, start small, you know, get your, get your ABM program, right. Reverse engineer from, from revenue. Figure out, figure out what is closest to revenue, and then build your build your strategy off the back of that. Look for those those opportunities, those uh, touch points that you can have biggest impact on uh, over the next month. Focus your energy there, and then that will start to build the business case internally, build more credibility, which will then obviously in turn unlock more investment. But get get those really clear uh, reporting measurements in place first. Get that aligned and agreed internally before you do anything and then build, you know, build your plan off that. Well, it's an interesting point. It, it kind of reminds me of, uh, I spent a summer locked in a room once um, building a new Salesforce uh, implementation uh, for our company and the thing and the Salesforce um, consultants, they spent probably two or three weeks digging into us. What reports did we want? As a, They weren't asking what data did you want to collect? They weren't asking us what functionality they just spent so much time looking at the reporting because they were basically using the reporting as the way to build the actual system for the, yeah. for the company I was working for at the time. So I think it's really interesting the point you're making there about starting backwards with the reporting. What do you want to report on? Because ultimately you've got a lot of people to talk to in the business. You've got a lot of people to, to keep on your side, not just within marketing, but also your sales colleagues and also then the C-suite or the, um, whoever yeah, you're, um, 
Yeah, it's important because, and also, you know, what you report on will change and evolve over time. Because if you've got a 12, 18 month sales cycle length, you know, you've got to be realistic with these objectives. You're not going to get to revenue in the first two, three, four months uh, unless you start working on opportunities that are already sort of, you know, heavily down the sales cycle. So you, you need you need those measures and checks and balances in place to, to see how you're improving, you know, benchmark your, your account penetration status, you know, from the offset. And, you know, where, where are the gaps in your relationships? How are you improving those relationships? How are you going to measure the, the quality of those relationships? Um, uh, how is your reputation and trust building within those accounts? And, and get those metrics, agree those metrics before you start. Uh, and then make sure everything feeds into those. Um, but you've got to get the alignment with the, the guys that are investing in it. Um, first yeah. Before. And that's, that was obviously talking around the kind of the more kind of immature companies um, that yeah. are coming, coming to ABM. And I suppose, um, you know, as, as ABM has, you know, come to the forefront in the last few years, obviously become more and more popular as a, as a go-to-market strategy in a way of answering some of these kind of key growth questions. But yeah. what about the kind of companies that we work with, um, that are much more mature, that have been doing ABM, you know, for, for longer, that have been doing different ABM programs, one to many, one to few, one to one. What what do you see there in terms of what 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 are some of their challenges? Well, some of the more mature companies typically started, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and they they would have started with one to one, largely mm. because the technology didn't exist to attempt to scale to one to many. You know, one to many didn't really exist as a concept. Um, you know, years ago, it's only, it's only technology that's allowed, allowed one-to-many programs really to become a thing. And obviously, then you've got all these technology vendors that are facilitating that. But if you start off with one-to-one, you know, a typical remit for a one-to-one, it, it's very, unless it's an RFP, it's very rarely new client acquisition as an objective. It's more about growth and retention. <clears throat> so just by definition, if you've got a growth and retention objective, then, you know, your measurement for, for success there is going to be, um, you know, relationships, quality of those relationships, uh, new cost centers that you're starting to to engage. Um, so your, your metrics change, uh, or they're more around, you know, the, the reputation relationships bit, which will obviously then lead to, to revenue further down the line. So I mm. think, uh, you know, those more mature companies have a different lens. They've already got revenue coming in from those clients. It's about how they can grow their footprint and they can be strategically relevant, change perceptions. Um, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of clients that we're working with that have that objective. You know, there's been an internal change in decision-making uh, units and those relationships have gone, uh, or maybe they're seen as a, a product vendor and they want to be seen as a solutions consultancy. So uh, the, the objectives tend to change and, and align with sort of reputation and relationships. Yeah, it's interesting as well because we, we were talking about some data, weren't we, the other day that um, I think it was from B2B Marketing from last year. They did a survey and I think that they, they, they surveyed about 100 companies that were doing ABM. And I think the numbers were more or less 55% were using ABM um, for new logo acquisition and 35 40% were using it for existing client growth. So there's yeah. obviously a, a slight weighting more towards new logo acquisition. But as you said, the origins of ABM are in existing customer growth and existing customer retention. Right? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned there about the three R's, actually. Can, I, can we pick up on that for a sec? So yeah, not, yeah. not everyone's obviously familiar with the three R's methodology of, of reputation, relationships, and revenue, yeah. um, and the relationship that each one has with the other uh, ours. Yeah. Talk talk a little bit about that. 
But, I mean, we talk a lot internally the agency and obviously publicly as well about the relationship between, you know, generating, um, building trust and then mm. how that correlates to stimulating demand within an account. So I, th- I think you could look at reputation and relationships almost as the umbrella that sits across that. You know, you go back to the old adage that people don't buy from people they don't trust. And consequently, you know, in order for in order to start stimulating those commercial conversations, you need to build some trust within the accounts and obviously the key stakeholders within those accounts. And that does take time, especially when you, you know, talking about five, six, seven-figure deals. So, you know, the, the first two R's of reputation and relationships, they sort of sit across that. They're almost, they're almost a measure of trust, the increasing levels of trust you have within an account or a cluster of accounts or within a market. And, and there are, you know, quantitative digital data points that feed into those first two R's and they're also qualitative sort of uh, softer uh, feedback that feed feed into that. So um, yeah, it's an incredibly uh, robust reporting model, um, but it it does require explanation up front. You know, it does require illustration to the C-suite and to other key decision makers within um, the business because they need to understand it and the best way to articulate it to those C-suite is to actually use real life examples you know take the last three clients you've won that you want more of analyze the buying journeys not just what you're seeing in the CRM but all of this self-attributed feedback that you get on the buying journeys nowadays and then you know overlay that onto the three R's model and, and almost paint that picture and show show the, the decision makers in the business who are investing in the program how that journey played out. And then and then you can say, right, well this is this is the model that we need to repeat and this is how we need to monitor success and this is how we need to hold our sort of commercial stakeholders to account for yeah. Yeah, I think as you mentioned, if people want to learn a bit more about the three R's, they can look on on the website. We've written a lot of posts about that and we've oh, yeah produce a lot of guys about, about the three R's and the importance mm-hmm. and um, and also we, we talk about how we measure each one of the, the, the three R's and I think a lot of companies are uh, that we work with clearly are um, embracing that methodology yeah and I, I like to call the, the first two R's that you were talking about there kind of the early indicators of the revenue that's going to follow um, because as you yeah. said unless you've got those reputation that reputation rather and you haven't and you've got those written relationships built, you're not going to see the revenue coming down the, down the pipe. So um, I, was, I was just making some notes here, just thinking about some of the, the conversations I've been having with people around ABM and, and obviously everything that we read on LinkedIn and elsewhere about ABM. And it's funny that a lot of people are talking about, you know, well, what is ABM? And, and when I have conversations with people about what ABM is, some people say, well, it's, you know, it's LinkedIn targeted advertising, it's display advertising, it's programmatic. What not many people talk about is actually where we see the greatest success from an ABM program, which is the the value proposition work that we do, um, the insight that we do, and then obviously then the account experience that we create. So uh, some people get a little bit confused about this whole idea about a value proposition, and they kind of turn off because they think, oh, we've got one already for the company. But what 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 is an ABM value proposition? Um, well, you know, let's let's go back to what. We believe that the purest definition of ABM is, and then take it from there. So, you know, at its purest sense, account-based marketing is treating a single account as its own market, a market of one. Mm. And then, by definition, if you say, right, well, how, what, what does that proposition into that account, that single account that you're you're obsessed with growing and retaining? What does that mean in terms of a message? Well, clearly, you need 
to take your your product proposition, your brand proposition, your product proposition, and then overlay context for that account. So in order to make your product market brand proposition relevant to that account, you need to understand that account in great depth. So how do you do that? Well, clearly you need to go deep on the insights. You need to understand everything about that account, where they are today, where they're like, you know, what their thoughts, pains, pains, fears are in the future, what's driving their decision-making at a company level. And obviously you need to understand who the buyers are in great depth and what's important to those guys personally. And then you end up with an ABM proposition. So there's a big difference between a brand proposition and an ABM proposition because, you know, as an agency, we don't touch a, a client's brand proposition. The client's brand proposition is, you know, tried and tested. They've grown off the back of that. Our job is to make that proposition, understand the context of the clients and the stakeholders and make that brand proposition relevant to a very specific set of people within a specific account. Um, and obviously that all comes off the back of, you know, desktop research, deep insights, uh, market analysis, um, stakeholder research, understanding where, where those relationships are in the business today and, and understanding where the opportunities are to, um, engage those stakeholders with, you know, with high impact creative and cut through the noise really. Yeah. I think it's fair. It's, it's interesting what you just said is that kind of the, the proposition or the value proposition is nothing to do with the, the wider brand. It's actually nothing what is either. the value that you as a company or your solution can offer into a set of accounts. Yeah, and that's, exactly. you know, that could be a hundred accounts as opposed to the, the 1000 accounts that you service, but those 100 accounts, how can you talk to them in a way which is, which, which is going to resonate with them? And the account, and then that, that all gets translated, as you mentioned, the insights and the value proposition that, get, that then gets translated into what, what we like to call an account experience. Yeah. What does that, how would make that tangible? What does that, what does that mean in account experience? Well, it's, 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 um, it's about creating an experience that you'd want to experience yourself as a buyer. Mm. Um, and you know there are there are fundamental principles around it, based on the starting point with that account. So it goes back to account benchmarking. Where are we? You know, in that sort of three hours journey, and therefore, what does that account experience need to look like in the short, medium, and longer term? Because it will change over time. So you know, if you've got an account where you've got little or no penetration, or the decision makers you've had ten years worth of relationships with have all changed and moved on, then clearly. Your 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 yardstick for success will be different in that scenario versus you know a stable relationship where you're looking to to grow and expand. So, um, you know your account experience needs to um, generate awareness, rebuild trust with new decision makers, and and depending on what that experience looks like, will determine on you know will come off the back of the insights that you do on that account at a stakeholder level and at an account level. But yeah, it, it'll be a combination of digital, uh, it'll be a com combination of, you know, human interaction touch points. It'll be a combination of, you know, peer to peer, you know, you know, depending on who you're targeting, if you're targeting the, the chief technology officer or the chief, chief security officer in a, in, a, in, a, in a global brand, you know, who is the subject matter expert, expert within your business that has the credibility to communicate with that person. It's not always, you know, on the commercial team to to develop those relationships. So the account experience will be designed and developed based on the starting point of that account and, and what your short, medium term objectives are really. Yeah. And let's talk, obviously, we're in February 2000 and 
23, and obviously there's been lots of talk. There's been lots of talk about re- recession. We're seeing, you know, layoffs um, in different technology companies. Um, but the, the numbers are a little bit contradictory, really, because some numbers are, are um, showing that maybe we're not going to end it. Who knows? We, yeah. we haven't got a magic ball. Um, but talk to me about why is it that, you know, companies would, would look at ABM in, in a moment like now? Why, when obviously budgets are under, you know, revision and everyone's looking at everything, why is ABM a, the right play? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting question. I think a lot of the a lot of the, the layoffs in the technology industry are a little bit misleading. I think um, there is a correction that's going on at the moment. I think uh, technology companies have over resourced in their sort of. There is a labour shortage. There's a quality labour shortage in the market, and I think you know, technology companies have over-resourced, and there is a natural correction to that. So, you know, we'll see how that plays out over the next twelve to eighteen months. But clearly, the technology companies are trying to do more with less. They're trying to become more efficient, trying to focus their resources more. Um, and actually, ABM aligns with that objective really well because you know the whole premise of uh, ABM is to focus your energies on your most important commercially viable accounts and, and target accounts. So by definition, you are investing your resources in your most um, most important accounts that have the highest potential to drive ROI and growth for your own business. So there is a there is a natural alignment with what's happening in the market and and the objectives that the technology brands are, are clearly trying to achieve at the moment by by gaining more efficiency. And um, yeah, I, th- I think we'll, we'll see what happens. But I, I think, um, yes, it, it's incredibly sad to see so many people lose their jobs. But I think it is a correction rather than a than a sort of a downturn in the technology space because clearly uh, technology isn't going anywhere. Yeah, well, yeah. And I think it's fair to say that there's lots of marketing that, you know, question marks about why you're doing it and how, how well it's impacting the business. And I think the advantage of ABM and clearly is you, if you're saying, hey, there's these 100 accounts that are really, really important to us. Um, yeah. 50% are our existing customers, 50% are major prospects that we've been we've been um, circling around for some time yeah. now with our competitors. Or I think having that kind of laser focus, as you said, on those accounts and, and putting your marketing dollars on those is a is a is a wise thing to do in the current circumstances. Anyway. It is for a certain size of companies, and so, you know, I mean, there's a lot of startups in in tech, obviously, and you know, who haven't properly established product market fit. You know, they haven't tried, they haven't got a tried and tested uh, product proposition. They don't know how relevant they are to the market they're targeting, and ABM is not the right strategy for that scenario. But if you've got more established technology brands that you know have, you know. One SME done really well in mid market, and now are really starting to try and win those bigger, high ticket deals, or build some of their mid market clients into enterprise accounts. Then ABM is absolutely the right strategy for that, and, and you can focus your resources more efficiently. Yeah, just two two questions to finish off with, Alex. Um, the first one I want to ask you about is about. Um, something which a lot of people actually don't know what it is, but a little bit about DBM and ABM, deal-based marketing and account-based marketing. And just because I was speaking to you, just thinking about some of the conversation I've been having with ABMers. And, yeah. and some people say, well, what is this deal-based marketing? What, 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 how would you see the difference between deal-based marketing and account-based marketing? 
Yeah, thanks for the heads up on that question because, um, you know, it's, it's a contentious question, isn't it? And it's, clearly it's a very, very fine line between the two. But, you know, you get DBM teams, established DBM teams within businesses whose job it is to support RFPs, win yeah. pitches. And quite often there's a handoff between the two functions. I, you know, I think, you know, um, ABM's jobs is to stimulate that demand, drive those commercial conversations. Um, and then, you know, if, if the opportunity has come through that ABM motion and it's handed over to the, uh, the deal-based marketing team or the, the teams that are, exist to win and facilitate those larger, longer, longer, more complex deals, then, you know, there is a relationship between those two teams. And, and the honest answer is the lines are blurred in, within a lot of companies. Mm. Um, one person's DBM is another man's ABM. So uh, it's difficult to give a, a precise question, say this is exactly what it is, because it does mean different things to different people. But ABM absolutely has a role. And there's plenty of examples where ABM has a role in supporting those those DBM type uh, scenarios, uh, you know, making sure that they've got the right content, timely, ongoing insights, stakeholder research, and then to make sure that the, the response to the RFPs and pitches are, you know, highly tailored and land with impact. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things I would add to that. One, I think, is DBM is finite. Yeah. Right? If you think a- ABM, you could even ar- you could argue that if you're working with a a strategic account and you're, let's say you're Microsoft and you've got a, you know, got a multi-billion dollar or multi-million dollar account that you work with, yeah. you're going to work with them for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, then your ABM could in theory be used forever. Yeah. Whereas DBM, deal-based marketing has, is a, has a limited time because you've got a deal, you are, it's binary, it's one yeah. or zero, you win it or you don't win it. Yeah. So I think that's number one. And, and I was talking to um, uh, one of the, let's talk ABM podcast guests a couple of years ago, I think now. Um, I like the way that they said, is when they have um, sales leaders who come to them and say, hey, can you do ABM to this account? The question they said to, was, said to them was, do you know anybody in this account? And if their answer was no, they said, well, that's deal-based marketing. Yeah. Um, you, you, we do account-based marketing with, with, with accounts that we know, that we know enough about, that we've got insights, mm. that we've got relationships. Otherwise, it's DBM. So I think there's a couple of things there to add for the audience. Is one is the, the time. Is it, is, it, is, it, is it closing in a month yeah. or three months or six months? And the second one is the level of relationships you have. Very last question, Alex, for you. And I'll try not to throw any more, you know, <laughs> left fielders in there or whatever. Um, exactly. Well, actually, it's a bit of a controversial question, actually, to finish off on, which is always fun. But, you know, well, so we're an ABM agency. And as I said, you know, you founded the agency 25 years ago, I think it was now, and obviously grown into, into, into the agency it is today. Um, but not every company uses agencies. Not every technology brand or company wants to use an agency and they do in-house or whatever but what what i'm not asking you to to justify our existence but what's that what's that question that goes on in their minds between between in-house and agency all some little none what what's what's going on in their minds i think i mean you could you could look at any professional service business businesses that are selling you know time in essence you know we're, we're although we don't sell time we sell value but you know your you people-based businesses you know your big your biggest cost is obviously the people the investment you make in your and your staff um so you know from a client side perspective they you know agencies exist for either knowledge or resource or both so you know it's our job to make sure that we um stay ahead of the market we know what good looks like as and we're, we're we're, we're very clear about who we can help and, and who we can add value to. And it's an agency's job to make, you know, to, 
to uh, design their their services to um, jigsaw into a, a client set of needs. And when I say jigsaw, it's about understanding the client-specific scenario. So what do they have a knowledge issue about? Um, and is there a fit between our knowledge and, and their knowledge gaps? Okay, great, we can add value there. And internally, you know, what resource do they already have in place that they clearly should take advantage of and maximize uh, their, their investment in? And maybe there's a couple of specific skills around that resource that they don't have. Once again, we jigsaw in with that. So, you know, a, the best agencies don't sell. They, they you know, understand um, where they can add value most. And they overlay their their sort of statement of work against that that value add. So um, yeah, knowledge and resource, and how we integrate with those two functions, really. Yeah, I mean the only thing I would add to that probably is from the kind of conversations that I have with um, uh, with customers and with the market is, um, but there's a whole thing around fast forward or accelerate. And I think you know, as you go back to your point around knowledge, as not everyone. Not every company has people with knowledge of ABM within their company, right? And 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 therefore, you know, you know, we've been doing this for many many years, yeah. so we've got that acquired knowledge from, as you said, classic yeah. consultancy, that we can actually lend that knowledge to the organisation. And very often, what I love about the work that we do is we're helping to train marketers yeah. to become ABMers. And yeah. some of the, some of our greatest success stories with our customers, I suppose, is when we see them becoming dedicated ABMers within the, within our customers, and then yeah. the relationship then changes. I think that's number one. And I think the second one, just to add, is the fact that it's almost like, and you know, as I mentioned at the very beginning, you know, I was a customer of the agency with two different companies for 15, 16, 17 years, and it was for me, it was a partnership. And so I, I always saw the, the six, seven people that were working on my account as just being an extension of my marketing team. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, the, the, I didn't see much difference between my full-time employees in my marketing team and, and the people in the agency that were working for me. The, the relationship was, was there. It was, I, almost got, I almost got on better with the people at the agency than I did with my own employees. But um, <laughs> I think that kind of partnership is really massively important because you need to be able to lean on additional yeah. resource as and when you need it. And I think that's for me is a couple of things that I always take away from this kind of agency in-house debate, really. Yeah, it's, look, and it's and it's different for every company. And look, it, and it all comes back to that trust, doesn't it? I mean, and, and trust gets built over time. But, you know, and, and some clients, you know, just have a short-term need, short-term knowledge resource, and there's that natural transfer of knowledge, and then they're off the races and they can run it themselves, which is amazing. Yeah. And then there are, other, there are other businesses that are growing in a different direction and that they need a more ongoing um so set of resource and support um yeah and that's where those longer term commitments come in it was 20 years by the way it wasn't 15 16 years was it? oh god okay you know, you've got better memory than me i'm going to throw one last 30 second question mm. at your very last question okay what are you working on at the moment what's what's mm. what's keeping you awake at night what are you doing that's going to be um that's going to make an impact well, it is around technology, actually. I mean, it's, it is about, obviously, we're, we're jointly working on that technology message to, to try and uh, clearly articulate what what's what's the minimum tech clients really should be thinking about when they're embarking on an ABM. And it does tie back to uh, how we believe clients should be measuring and helping cl clients educate their internal stakeholders on that measurement, because there is a correlation. Um, so, yeah, that that is front and centre at the moment is, you know, is, is getting that technology message right so clients don't overinvest too early 
um, and align it with their level of maturity. And, you know, by the way, maturity doesn't mean you're a, you know, a 50 man startup maturity. You also get very uh, ABM immature clients that are, you know, multi-billion dollar businesses. So maturity isn't a company size thing. It's just, you know, how, how long you've been in sort of trying to, to win those high, high value deals. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what's front and center at the moment. Um, and then I'm sure that will agenda will change pretty shortly. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, listen, Alex. Thanks so much for sharing some of your insight today, and it's been, it's been, it's been great talking to you. And um, and all the best for everything you're working on. Yeah. Cheers, Dave. If you enjoyed this episode of Let's Talk ABM, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Feel free to rate and review this podcast. Thanks so much for listening.